the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Prayer.com. That's TampaBayPrayer.com. Faith Talk 570 WTBN Pinellas Park. Online at Let's Talk Faith.com. A service of the Salem Media Group. But it's conflicts over, over the person who wants a raise and the boss says no. And then everybody talks about the boss behind his back. The boss wants more profit. The laborer wants more money. The lust for power, authority, brings war. I did a little online research on causes of conflict just now, and I saw something that I found interesting. I didn't notice any articles that mentioned the one universal basic source of our arguments, fights, and wars. One article listed eight causes. Conflicting resources, conflicting styles, conflicting perceptions, conflicting goals, conflicting pressures, conflicting roles, different personal values, and unpredictable policies. Another just gave four causes. Personality differences, noncompliance with rules and policies, misunderstandings, and competition. These were all in the context of the workplace, but they apply in all situations, from family to international politics. And they all ignore the basic human flaw that is part of every conflict. We want our way, right? So, on that grim note, let me welcome you to Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida is our teacher, and we're studying Chapter 4 of the Book of James. In Verse 1, James asks, What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? And then he proceeds to tell us. Here's Pastor Steve. What are the symptoms of these conflicts? How do you know if if these conflicts are really there? What's the evidence when there's a war that goes on? Well, there's a lot of them, but James nails down a few specifics. Verse 2, he starts off by saying, You lust and you don't have, so you commit murder. You're envious. You cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Let's stop there. These Christians were frustrated because there were things that they longed for that would fulfill their selfish gratification, but they couldn't be satisfied. For some reason, they weren't satisfied. And so what happens is they have conflicts. They murder. I don't think it means literally murder or else they'd be put in jail or whatever they had. It means that you hate with the potential to murder. Jesus said, if you hate in your heart, you have murdered. He says, you're envious, you can't obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You're envious, you want something, you covet. You cannot obtain, but you want it. You want to be satisfied, so a war develops in your church. William Barclay gives us good insight into this. He says, it sets men at each other's throats. Desires, as James sees it, are inherently warring powers, these desires we have within us. He does not mean that they war within a man, and I would say that they mean this, that they do war within a man, plus that means that they war outside also. He says, although that is also true, but that they set men warring against each other. 
The basic desires are for the same things, for money, for power, for prestige, for worldly possessions, for the gratification of bodily lusts. When all men are striving to possess the same things, life inevitably becomes a competitive arena. They trample each other down in the rush to grasp them. They'll do anything to eliminate a rival. Obedience to the will of God, he states, draws men together. For it is that will that they should love and serve one another. Obedience to the cravings for pleasure drives men apart. For it drives them to rivalry, competition for the same thing. So the symptoms of a selfish heart is hatred. It's lusting, it's desiring, and this is the word desire. Desire isn't always used in the New Testament to mean evil. You have to look at the context. Here, it means that. We can have a desire to do good things. But here, the obvious context, when it says you lust and you don't have, so you commit murder, is is evil. It's evil desires. That's the symptom, one of the symptoms of our conflicts. We covet, we hate, because others are ahead of us. Others are getting what they want. And we can't. And so conflicts arise. Jealousy. Petty envying. Like I said, think about why you argued with your spouse. The last argument you had. She or he probably kept you from getting what you wanted to get. And you let them get your wrath. Warren Wearsby said something excellent about this. He says, Thou shalt not covet is the last of God's Ten Commandments. But its violation can make us break all of the other nine. Covetousness can make a person murder, tell lies, dishonor his parents, commit adultery, and in one way or another violate all of God's moral law. If there's a war on the inside, there will ultimately be war on the outside. You see what James is saying? Because we want to be satisfied we want, we're so selfish and we're on such an, an ego trip to be satisfied. I'm number one. So we have sinful desires that try to get us ahead and we have conflicts because others inevitably get in our way to get ahead. Whether it be more money, whether it be prestige, whether it be uh, anything that would satisfy these pleasures, the desire for pleasure within us. And you know, another symptom is a discontent heart, a discontented heart. Always wanting what others have and never being satisfied. Paul says, I have learned to be content. I have learned it. If I go hungry, I'm content. If I get beaten, I'm content. If I have a lot of food, I'm content. It really doesn't make a difference what situation I'm in. James readers, and we need to learn that. A discontented heart. Conflicts are always the evidence of greed and selfishness. And you know, in our day and age, there is a growing, growing desire. We are infatuated with this, a desire for material possessions. We never seem to be satisfied with what we have. For instance, take the recent baseball strike. There is nothing more evident of the greed of man than the recent baseball strike. And I've had, because I'm such an avid baseball fan, people would come to me and say, what do you think about it? And I think they're both wrong. The players are wrong, we're wrong, and are wrong, because it's all motivated from greed. Why was there a war and a strike between the owners and the players? Because the players want more money, and because the owners don't want to give them more money. They want more of the profits, and that's what the whole thing is about. 
And the reason I say that it's not over yet is because unless man's heart is changed, it will never be over. Unless there is, as we'll see what James says, that divine solution, it will not end. Labor fights with management over, over all kinds of things. It isn't just in baseball, that's just more popular. The world gets to watch that. But it's conflicts over, over the person who wants a raise and the boss says no. And then everybody talks about the boss behind his back. The boss wants more profit. The laborer wants more money. The lust for power, authority, brings war. I mentioned before how Adolf Hitler tried to justify what he did. You know what one of the things he said to justify the atrocities of, uh, of, of what he did? He said that Germany just wants more living space. Russia wants to conquer the world. And there are all kinds of, of things that people want. And really, the bottom line is greed and desire for more and more and more. A discontented heart, not being satisfied. We want something, and whoever stands in our way better get out of it, or else we'll have a war. And that's what it's all about. Look what he says the end of verse 2 and 3. This is really incredible. You don't have because you don't ask. You ask, and you do not receive, because you ask it with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. What's he saying? Even our prayers reveal our selfish desires. See, remember, this is the symptoms of war. The symptoms of war could be your prayer life. How does that work out? You don't pray to receive, you fight about it. James says, why don't you pray about it? And then he says, and sometimes you do pray, but you don't receive it because you ask for the wrong reasons. You see what I said before? You can sound so spiritual, and yet it's the evidence of carnality. Sometimes we don't get our prayers answered because we're asking it not for God's glory, but for ours. Now let me, let me just deal with that for a moment. The purpose of prayer is to bring glory to God. To have his will be done, and so to bring glory to him. The disciples came to Jesus and said, teach us to pray. And Jesus said, the pattern for prayer is this. And he went through what we commonly call the Lord's Prayer. And one of the, one of the things that Jesus said is, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Ultimately, we ought to pray so that God is glorified as his will is done. Now, you might ask, is it wrong then to pray for things that I need? No, it's not wrong. Jesus said you ought to pray for all kinds of things. But it is wrong to pray for things uh, for you just to satisfy your sinful desires. Let me give you an example. You need a car, okay? The motivate, you can pray for a car. But when you begin to pray that you might have the fanciest car on the block so that others might think that you are something special, then God's not going to answer that. That's just a, an illustration. You certainly can pray for things for yourself, but the key here is just what James says in verse 3, because you ask with wrong motives. The motivation is the key. You may be in financial bind. It's not wrong to pray for money, but it is wrong to pray for money that you know you want to spend it in a sinful way. The motivation is the key, and James says that's just another evidence. Your prayer life shows that, that you have a symptom of war in your midst. 
Sometimes he says you don't even pray about it. You just fight. Why don't you ask God? You may have that. You may have a conflict with somebody. You want something passed in your perhaps Sunday school department. Uh, Maybe you're a deacon and you want something to be done, but others are standing in the way. James says, why don't you pray about it? But you make sure that your motivation is right. Don't go trying to push your plan. Why don't you just stand back and let God know what it is and avoid all conflicts? If only committees would know about this, there would be so much war put to rest. Then he goes on in verse 4 to say something else about this. Here's another symptom. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. What he says is, we aren't only fighting God's people. Listen, it isn't just war within the church. Our selfishness leads us to actually fight against God himself. He says, you adulteresses. Why does he call us that? Because we are the bride of Christ. And the bride of Christ, when we came to Christ, we became married to him. Into that union with Christ. Romans chapter 7. And when we are unfaithful, we are just like an unfaithful wife is to a husband. That's why God calls us an adulteress. It's in the feminine. Because we play that role as a church collectively. When we set our hearts on satisfying ourselves, we become a friend of the world. Did you know that? You know, people, it's very interesting to hear what people think worldliness is. Usually they think it's what amusements you go to, uh, your hair length, how you dress, the words you, you use, and that type of thing. Do you know that that really is not the heart of worldliness at all? That may be an evidence of worldliness. It may not be. But you know what worldliness is? Worldliness is when we conform to the heart of the world system. And the heart of the world system is this. Ego. Number one. The world is antichrist. Antichrist means against Christ. They have put themselves on the throne. It's an egocentric system determined to glorify self rather than God. It's humanistic rather than divine. And when we begin to put our hearts on satisfying ourselves, we become a friend to the world because we become just like the world. We have joined ourselves and befriended the world because that's where our affection really is. That's where our value system is. And God says, you're disloyal to me. You're fighting me. Fellowship with the world is disloyalty to God. That's what James means. That's a symptom of war. And when we have church fights and splits and things like that, that is the true essence of worldliness. Some churches that that pride themselves on being so doctrinally sound are really quite worldly. They may say all the right words. They may look the right way. They may be able to, to, uh, to really appear spiritual. But if they're bent on themselves, they are worldly. And that's what James is saying. It's hostility towards God. This is worldliness, affection towards the system. You see, worldliness is an attitude that could develop into an action. But primarily, it's an attitude. When a person becomes a Christian, he loses the right to own himself. This is the heart of what James is saying. And this is the heart of what we want to focus on 
when a person becomes a Christian, when you and I came to know Christ, we lost all rights to ownership. Peter says that you were not redeemed with with corruptible things, but with incorruptible things, the precious blood of Christ. You were bought by that. You were redeemed. You You were taken out of the marketplace of sin. You were bought by Christ. That blood was paid for you. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. You were bought with a price, as we said this morning. Therefore, glorify God. You're not your own. And you and I cannot embrace the world system and God's ways. It's impossible. And that's what James is saying. When you have a divided mind, when you have that war within yourself, you want the world system, but you want God's ways, you must either go one way or another. Or else you're unstable, you're mixed up, you're confused, and you're going to have all kinds of problems. And unfortunately, that is the mold and the setting of most Christians' lives. And that's why most churches are not healthy, because they're very worldly. They want the best of the world, self, which is really all the world has to offer, and they want God's ways, and you cannot mix the two, and that is worldliness. Remember what Elijah said? Just sharing this with someone, a friend of mine recently, Elijah was facing the Jewish people. There were 400 prophets of Baal, and there was one Elijah, one of God's prophets, and he says, why halt ye between two opinions? Make up your mind. If Baal be your God, then follow him and stop fooling around. Don't go on the Lord's side and then on Baal's side. If you believe Baal to be God, then go his way. And if Jehovah be God, then go his way. But don't, don't try to live both lives because you can't. That is what we call a carnal Christian. And he's miserable. He's fighting against God. He's fighting God's people. And he's miserable. We all know people like that. I know a dear brother who is fighting within himself. And he thinks it's just him that he's fighting, but he's fighting other Christians and he's fighting God himself because it's hostility to God to be a friend to the world. Remember Joshua? Joshua said, choose ye this day whom ye will serve. If the Lord be God, then serve him. But as for me and my house, we will follow the Lord. He said, you do what you want, but make a choice. As for myself and my family, we're going God's way. That's really the heart of the whole thing. Either God's way and and dying to self or self's way and denouncing the Christian faith. But you can't play games or else you'd be miserable. Then verse 5, we're faced with that. It is a difficult verse to translate. And I'm not sure what the exact translation should be. So I'm going to tell you the options. He says this. I'll read it from the New American Standard and then explain it. Or do you think that the scriptures speak to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. Very difficult to translate. And there are a number of different interpretations based upon how a person translates it. Basically, as I see it, the two best translations are either this. God yearns for the devotion of our human spirits, which he has made to dwell in us. You see, in the Greek... Uh, There are no capitals in the Greek New Testament. And so we don't know for sure if it's Holy Spirit or if it's human spirit. But I'm going to tell you a, a key to this. Or, so let me repeat this. God yearns for the devotion of our human spirits, which he has made to dwell in us. You see, man is the only creature who has a human spirit that can worship God. That's why we're different from animals. Or the Holy Spirit who dwells in us 
yearns for our full devotion. Either way you want to take it, it comes out to the same meaning. The meaning is basically the same when it means this, total allegiance to God. God is a jealous God. And whether he means there Holy Spirit or the spirit which which, uh, dwells within us, it really basically comes out the same. The totality of Scripture points to this, that we ought to have a total allegiance to God. What's the greatest commandment? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. That's what the Scripture says. God is out to glorify himself, and he glorifies himself by people, his people, honoring him and obeying him. And God is a jealous God. Did you know that? God is jealous, and he's the only one who ought to be jealous for himself because he's the only one worthy of this. And he loves us with such a passion that he can't stand to be in competition with anything else. God must be first. He says in in Exodus 34, 14, you shall worship no other God for the Lord whose name is jealous is a jealous God. God's name is jealous. Now, it's a divine jealousy. It's a pure jealousy. It isn't a a jealousy on a human level. God is a God who passionately loves us and cannot stand for any competition in our love. He must have total allegiance or else we're worldly. And that's a symptom of war. Whenever there's church war, it means, except for the areas of doctrinal purity and righteous living, it means... Whenever there's war, that there is carnality there, and it is a symptom, and it shows worldliness. But what's the solution? Wars begin in our midst, in our home, with our friends, with our family, with our businesses. Wars begin because of our our selfishness, our self-centeredness, our egos. The symptoms are worldliness, a discontented heart, and all the other things that we went over, our prayer life, uh, selfish motives, but the solution. That's the real key. And God has given us some very clear principles on how to stop the war. If the world realized this, there would never be another conflict. Let's look at verse 6. But he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You know what the first step is in resolving the conflicts? Recognize that God gives us greater grace, that is a greater strength, to be totally committed to him than the pull of our selfish desires. There is a greater strength within you to live for God than there is a pull by your sinful, carnal desires to live for self. A greater strength pulling you to do what's right. No one can ever stand before God and say, I had to go that way. I didn't have the power to do this. God says, you certainly did. You didn't avail of it. You didn't appropriate it. The proud, he says, are those who are stuck on themselves, living for self only. God resists them. God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Repentant, humble spirit receives grace to live for God. I think that sometimes we do exactly the opposite of what James said to do in the very next verse. In verse 7, James said to submit to God and to resist the devil. But all too often, we resist God and submit to Satan. Ah, That never ends well. But isn't it great to know that God gives us a way out? 
Thanks for tuning in today to Verse by Verse, a radio Bible class with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. If you'd like to visit Lakeside some Sunday, the address is 1893 Sunset Point Road in Clearwater. For directions and service times, call 727-441-1714 or go online to lakesidechapel.com. If you call outside of business hours, just leave us a daytime phone number so we can return your call. Verse by Verse is a listener-supported ministry of Lakeside, and we hope you'll take advantage of the free resources we offer at our website, versebyverseradio.org. You can stream or download any of the previous broadcasts we keep on our message archive page. And if the Lord is blessing you through these studies, maybe you would like to give to help with the production and airtime costs. You can do so on our website or call Lakeside at 727-441-1714. The web address again is versebyverseradio.org. And we thank you for your gifts and for your prayers. We're also thankful for the stations who carry these programs. If you feel that way too, how about letting the manager of this station know about it? This is Jerry Peterson. How many times in the movies or on TV, or maybe in real life, do we witness someone who has committed murder or some other horrible crime claim that they had no choice? Don't you see, they would shout from the witness stand on the old Perry Mason shows, I had to do it. It looks ludicrous on the screen, but I think we all have a tendency to think that way sometimes, don't we? Even though God does offer us a wonderful alternative. It's called humility. Pastor Steve will deal with that more. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.